Hello and welcome to another episode of Daf Shui, Weekly Daf. Give me 40 minutes or so and I'll give you a Daf or so. It's been another one of those weeks. Next week we're going to have our first full week, starting with Sunday. Coming off of Simplest Torah, which was a bizarre and odd Simplest Torah, just like any other Simplest Torah, except without, you know, dancing and singing and dancing with Torah and rather just talking to people from six feet away and then this week so there you go but we're standing in that we're going to try to fill this room with the joy of learning Torah taking refuge in Torah for a little bit here and moving towards Rosh Chodesh towards next month between time elections yeah hopefully change Hopefully change. Hope. Joyous warrior. Hope. Okay. Here we go. So we are on 44A in the edition of the Talmud, originally published in Vilna, Lothis, 150 years ago by the widow and brothers Ram. We are on the top of the page, but we have to go back a little to last week's adopted uh, 43B to hit the ground running. So there, we have to remind ourselves there was a brighter, and this is the brighter that we're going to be dealing with for the next stuff. So it's Narabanan, right? This is on 43B. You just read the brighter, talk about it, and then we'll move into 44A. It's Narabanan, Machalo Bait, Machalo Sadeh, Ein Meidlo Alam, Ipnesha Achrayutawa Love. If one sells somebody else a house or a field, so then that person, the seller, is not allowed to testify in favor of the buyer because he has achrayut, he has responsibility towards it, meaning, and then the question is, what does that exactly mean? But meaning that if it ends up that somebody else comes along and says, no, that's my field, then the buyer will come back to the seller. Or it means that if uh, the seller has debts and the seller does not have money to pay those debts, the seller's creditors can go to the field and collect off of the field from the buyer. Then the seller might uh, have to repay the buyer, but at least the seller won't not repay his debts. Right? Okay. Um, and that's because uh, somebody doesn't pay their debts. It's considered, it's called a rasha in the in evil person in the Torah. And that's a bad thing. Okay, so we say, so that's the brighta, but it's different if machalo para machalo talit meidlo alav alav. But if one sells a cow or a garment to their fellow, then the seller can testify in relation to the garment because there is no, there is no achrit, right? The once you sell a, once you sell a garment. It's it, once you sell a metaltalim, you know, things that are, are movable items, a garment, a cow, then it's it, it's over. The rela your relationship with your item is done. Okay, now the the important part here is Rav Sheshet sets this up not as a simple sale, but that what's the difference between the first part and the second part? And the first part, you can't testify in the second part, you can. Rav Sheshet sets this up as being a case in which. Ruvain stole Shimon's field. And then, okay, remember that we went over this last week, but I know that it's complicated and 
probably forgot by now, might have forgotten by now. I don't want to be chayshid b'kshirim. I don't want to assume anything, but Reuben stole Shimon's field, and then he sold it to Levi. And then Yehuda came and challenged Levi's ownership of the field, saying, it's my field, right? That's the whole thing, the whole kind of my bite by Ara, what are you doing in my land? What are you doing on this field? Okay, so now Shimon, whose field it originally was, cannot come to testify for Levi to say that it's his field because he is no Gea Beidut, right? He has an investment. He wants to get his field back. Right? He initially, he wants to get his field back and he wants the field to, and, you know, he has all kinds, he could have all kinds of strategies that either it's easier for him to get it back from Levi than from Yehuda because Yehuda is a, you know, a, a strong guy and he's afraid to go up against them. He's, uh, you know, he knows that the sale and, and together with the theft, so Levi has an actual acquisition, a Kinyan on it, because there's both Yehush, there's the giving up because of the theft, but that by itself does not acquire, but that and Shinu Rishut's changing its place does acquire because we have a principle that Karka Einan Exelet, that a field cannot land, cannot be stolen, but if you have both Yush and Shinuru Shud, if you have both, give up hope on it. And then there's also a change of domain, meaning now Levi, it's in Levi's hand. So that can acquire, but he's hoping, but it could be that Shimon's coming there and he'll testify to get it out of Levi's hand and then get it from Yehuda or to get it out of Yehuda's hand and then with that force, get it out of Levi also. So he has all kinds, he could have all kinds of what, of strategic or tactical ways to testify in such a manner that he gets the field back himself. All those things showing that he is no Gea Beidut. It's not a simple, straightforward, clear testimony, but rather a testimony that's tainted because of Shimon's desire to get his field back. Okay, so that's where we, so that's where we ended up. So then the Gemara says, if that's so, if that original Brita of he sold a field or he sold a, a, a house that he can't testify because of Achrit. If that's if that's the case, so why doesn't Rav should go pretty straightforward and say, Velukmas, we're on the top of 44a, Velukma Begazlan. Why doesn't he just say that he established, look, literally, why doesn't he just establish um, this a case in a case of straightforward theft? Now, what does that mean in this case of straightforward theft? That just means that Ruvain steals Shimon's land, and then Yehuda comes and uh, testifies against uh, uh, Ruvain. So now the question is, can Shimon testify for Ruvain? Right? So he can't because uh, Shimon wants to get his field back. So why doesn't you just go straight forward? What do you need all, another two people in the, in the another person in the in the cast of characters? So the Gemara says, Mishum de Kabai lemitne seifa macharlo para macharlo talit and he says this is the reason the reason is because the second half of the Brita says he sold him a cow he sold him a, a garment and there it's Dafka specifically when he sold it because you have both Yehush giving up hope and change the domain but if he didn't but if the thief if Reuven had not sold the item, meaning if, if he had not sold the, 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 the piece of clothing or the cow to somebody else, to, to Levi, then it would have gone back to Shimon. So therefore, since in this second case, he had to put in the machar, 
the sales, so therefore also in the first case he put in the machar, which uh, then complicates it, puts an extra scene in there that steals, sells, and then uh, somebody else comes and challenges the ownership of the guy who bought the land from the thief. Okay. Visefanami nehidmiyaish migufe midamemiyaish, but even that doesn't help us that much. Um, because even in the safe, even in the second part of Macharlo, of, of he sold him the cow or sold him the garment. Also, even if he's giving up hope from it itself, he's not going to give up hope from the money. And he says, even though Ruvain stole, Ruvain stole my little red wagon and sold it to Shifra. Right? So now I don't think I'm going to get my little red wagon back. All I'll have is the memory in the poem. But what I will be able to get back, what I'm not giving up hope on getting back, is getting back the worth of it, the value of it. So therefore, why does it say again, Machar could say Gazal? Right? I know they're not going to get back the wagon, but I'm going to get back the money. Look, no, Tzricha. Then we have to say Machar. Why? Because Demit Gazlan. Because the, let's say, the, the thief, Ruvain, died. Because if somebody, you have a, a Mishnah, and the Mishnah said, tells us, uh, the Mishnah in Gozel uh, Machil, tells us that somebody who steals and feeds his children, in other words, he takes it, he takes the food, takes whatever he's stealing, gives it to his children, his children consume it, or the, he leaves it to them, they don't have to pay. Their patur. So therefore, what that means is, and we'll see that see in a minute. So that means that so if the if the if the thief's if if Ruvain dies, Ruvain stole the stole the little red wagon. Then Ruvain dies, leaves it to his children. So not only is he not going to get back the little red wagon, but he's not going to get back the money either. Okay, look, you be alright. So if you're going to go that far, so let's set us over. Should should have said that it's yoresh. Right? What does that mean? That Ruvain stole field from Shimon, and then he died, and then Levi, his son, inherited the field, and then Yehuda came and challenged Levi, the the Yoresh, the heir. Shimon can't come and testify to in favor of or against Levi against Yehuda. Okay, so the question is what what goes on here? So So that works, right? If we put it as a Yoresh, as as an heir. So that works if you say that the the domain of the Yoresh is not considered like the domain of a buyer. In other words, like the, that means that the Yoresh just steps in the place of the father, right? The heir steps in the place of the father, the ancestor. So that's fine. So then you have, there's a nigiah there, right? You, you, the Shimon can't testify because he's still, just like he would want to get the field back from Ruvain, he'd want to get the field back from Ruvain's heirs. But if you're going to say, but if you say, and this is a, a machloket that's there in, in Gozil Machil, if you're going to say that the, the domain of the heir is considered another domain, meaning he's like a buyer. It's as if Levi bought it from his father, Ruben, rather than just inherited it. So, what could you say? Because then it doesn't make sense that uh, he can't testify because it is both Yush and Shinu Rishut. It's both he's given up hope and it's gone into another domain because he's like a Lekev. And then uh, he's never going to get it back. So, why shouldn't he be able to testify? Okay. So, the Ode... And there's another question. Kashle Labaya. Abaya comes in with another question. 
מפני שאחריותו עליו ואין אחריותו עליו so Abayah says, what are you talking about, Akhra? Well, this language of Akhrayut, which has been problematic, because we saw this a little bit last week on 43a. What does Akhrayut mean? Does it mean Akhrayut responsibility for his own debts? If there's a lien on the land, then he has to pay back. Or is it Akhrayut that somebody else, Yehuda, comes and challenges the very ownership of the land, saying that the land is actually his? What kind of a, what, what are we talking about here? Actually, says, what we're talking about is whether or not the the land or the stolen object will return to Shimon if Shimon testifies. That's the dividing line. If we're in a situation where Shimon, where the the returning the object or the field will not will never return to Shimon, so then he doesn't have an agiyah, then he doesn't have an investment. So if it's enach lo, if it's not going to ever return to him, so he can testify because he doesn't have an investment. He's never going to get his land back, or he's never going to get his cow back. So therefore, he can testify. But if he can get it back, then he can't testify because he will testify in such a way in order to facilitate getting his cow back. But rather, we should read this according to Raven Bar Shmuel, our old friend Raven Bar Shmuel from previous Amud, previous Daf. Dama Raven Bar Shmuel, Mishmei De Shmuel, Raven Bar Shmuel says in the name of his father Shmuel, HaMocher Sadeh LaChavero Shelo Ba'achrayut Ein Me'id Lo Alea Mepnei Shema'amida Befnei Balchavo Somebody who sells a field to his fellow without Achrayut, without responsibility, he cannot testify about it because he's setting that field up before his creditor. Right? That's the reason. This is what it has to do with. And this is talking specifically about a house or a field of Right? So but this is only in the case of a house or a field. But a cow or a garment we're not talking about it because when you make a loan on a cow or a field, then it's when you make a loan on a cow or a garment or a little red wagon or a basketball, then there is no achrayut, and you sell it. There's no achrayut. That does you know. There's no achrayut to metaltlin. If I sell you my my uh, my basketball, if I had a basketball to sell and I sold it to you, that's it. My creditors can't come and sue you for the basketball. That's it. The the ownership ties are, are dissolved at the moment of sale on uh, movable objects. So that's how, so we should go that way, right? So in other words, so Abai is just saying, we're now recasting this whole thing. Abai is just saying it should be taken away from this notion of the responsibility of the seller following the sold object. And now we're going into the details of how loans work and how that impacts these sales. And even though he wrote in the loan document, and this is kind of what the boilerplate says, that I am responsible to repay the loan with everything that I own, even the coat on my back, even the clothing on his shoulders. This this is because if it exists, but if it's not there, then uh, it no longer exists. So uh, if you sold it, if he stole it and then sold it, so so therefore it's gone. That's it. It's all. It's over. Ella, afilu apotiki namilo. But it says no. So now we go into another situation. Apotiki is a step above achrit. Apotiki means not that when I when I make a loan, so everything I own is is on the line to repay that loan. 
And if I, and if I sell a, a field after I made that loan, then somebody can come and sue for that field as long as the field exists, right? Um, or sue for the, you know, but if I, now, and if it's a, if it's a, a car or a cow, no, unless I say this car or this specific field is an apotheke is responsible for that loan. So then the, then the creditor can go after that field or that car anywhere it goes, can follow it away. But here he's saying, no, even if he made it into an apotiki, it's also the ties of the creditor end when the debtor sells it off. My time, a why? Kid Rava, like Rava said. Rava says, if a person made his enslaved person an apotiki and he sold him, so then his creditor can still go after that enslaved person and collect their debt from him. Okay, now, just in brackets. Again, Chazal, or the sages of the Gemara, accepted it as a given that there were enslaved people. They did not take a moral stance about slavery here. Basically, in, in all of Nizik and, and in torts and in monetary law, they didn't take a, a position for or against enslavement, which is a moral failing. This week's podcast is brought to you by Goop. Goop, it works. When Job was struck with boils, after his children were killed and all his property was destroyed, when he was rolling on the floor in the deepest existential and physical pain, and his wife, Mrs. Job, had just told him to curse God and die, and his friends all lined up one after the other to tell him that, yes, after all, it was his fault. As Job was about to demand justice from God, to deny God's righteousness, if only someone had brought him some goop. One's over the body and like new. Job would have gooped once, had a cup of coffee, and been back bantering with the buds. And God could have just taken Satan out for another round. Goop! It's what'll take care of that god-awful pain. And I mean that. Okay. So, but Rabbi says here, Rabbi says here, so if you made a, an enslaved person into an apotiki, and you sold him, so then the creditor can collect from from that enslaved person. But if you made your ox or your donkey into an apotiki, right, that the dead follows and then sold him, then a creditor cannot collect from the, 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 the ox or the donkey. My time, a why? Hi, it lay kala, but hi, let lay kala. Because an enslaved person, there is, it's known that that slave person was an apotiki. But, and with a, an ox or a donkey, it's not known. Again, just the very parallelism between the, the, the ox and donkey and the enslaved person makes the, the very institution of slavery in starker light, uh, points out the injustice of the institution of slavery, the abhorrence of the institution of slavery. So why don't we say, rather, that what he did was he acquired movable objects together with the land. He said, my land, and then everything's on the, that's on the land. And then so it's, it's the Kenyan was on, the, the acquisition was on the land. But then everything that was on the land together with the land was also acquired. The Amaraba Rabba, because Rabba says, If a person acquires two, right? In other words, 
cells, movable objects together with land. So then the buyer, or the acquirer, acquires both the land and the movable objects. And Rav Chista says, as a caveat, and then says that's only if the buyer writes down in the deed that this is not like the usual boilerplate contract, because the usual boilerplate contract is not that you don't get all the you don't get all the movable objects together with with the land. Okay, so so why don't we use why don't we go with this? Why don't we go this way and explain and go get around Rubba's problem with the fact that movable objects like a, a donkey and a, and and, a, and an ox cannot be collected from by saying that you sold them together with the rest of the land. So he says, Hachomayaskin and the Stam, Hachomayaskin means we're reframing the conversation. What are we talking? How are we reframing this conversation? It's when you acquired it and immediately sold it. Right? Ruvain sells, says he's going to sell his land and everything on it and all the mentalitalin, all the movable objects to Shifra. And then Shifra immediately says, great. Shifra buys the land and everything on it and then immediately sells off the, the donkeys to Levi. Immediately. Right, so that's not uh, acquired with it because there's no, there was no time, in, in, uh, halakhically, there's no time for, for the debt to move on to them because they've gone someplace else. And let's say, why don't we take into account that when you made, when I made the original loan, right? Upon which I indebted my, I, I put under lien all my stuff. I said stuff that I have and will have in the future. De ikne, right? Anything that I bought, anything that I will have in the future. Shamat mina de ikne kana umachar kana baharish lamishtabed. Therefore, we we learn from this case that even though stuff is bought in the future. The implication is that if you bought it and immediately sold it, or you bought it and immediately gave it an inheritance, so that does not come under the lien of the of the loan. La tzricha deka amri edim yadin and bebahai lahavilei arame olam. Now uh, we need it for a case in which the the witnesses say we know this guy he never ever had any land. So in a case where the witnesses say he never had land. So then we're not worried about land that goes in the future. That cuts off that, that avenue. Vahama Rav Papa, whoa. But Rav Papa says, Right, so even though, so Rabbi says that even though that the sages teach that if somebody sells a field to his fellow, Without achrayut, you know, saying I'm not responsible for whatever creditor is coming after your field, and a creditor came and took the field, so he the the guy doesn't come back to the the buyer doesn't come back to the seller. However, if it was not his, then he does come back to it. That's only a case where he comes back to it. That's only a case where the original seller it actually was his land. But if it wasn't his land, in other words, if I sold Shimon a piece of property, which actually wasn't mine, and then witnesses came and said, I know this guy, he never had, he never owned land. So then in that case, 
where I never had land, the person I sold the land can actually come back to me with a claim saying, uh, you know, pay me back because you sold me land, which wasn't yours. So therefore, when the creditors came and they took the land, it's on you. So what are we talking about? We're talking about a case where a witness can testify that he recognizes that this donkey that's walking around in the land is actually the the descendant of the donkey that uh, I used to have. So say, oh, no, he used to have the land. Even if Rav Zvid says, actually, you know what? Even if it turns out that it wasn't originally my land... Still, my creditors can't come back on me, or the, the seller can't come back on me. Because I could say, that's why I sold it to you without uh, without uh, my having responsibility for debts. Because you know what? I knew it wasn't my land. So therefore, you bought it without Akhrayut. That's on you. Right? Buyer, buyer beware. Okay, we're going to stop there. We're not going to go into all of the moral complexities here. We will maybe in a couple of weeks when we figure out what it means to own property, what it means to steal property. Uh, we're still dealing with the whole, in the back of our minds is the whole principle of karka inan exelet, that land is never, cannot be stolen, which seems to make logical sense. At the same time, it seems to make not make logical sense. If land could be bought, why can't land be stolen? But then again, what does that actually look like that land is stolen? On the other hand, we have a country that's created on stolen land um, and also the United States. Okay, so ultimately the one question that, we in, that we're, we're, we're at now is that one question is what responsibility does a seller have to the buyer of her property? Another is, how does one work through the web of ownership in the case of a stolen piece of property which is also sold? Further, what claim does a lender have on the borrower? Does that claim extend beyond the borrower to the buyer of the borrower's property? Fourth or fifth, whatever I lost count, can I put under lien stuff that I might buy in the future? And underlying this all, as we said, can property be stolen? Karka a non exilit. Okay, I hope you have a wonderful Shabbat. Take some time to breathe, to refresh yourself, be nafash, to get your soul to bring renewal to your soul so that you can come out fighting next week. If you enjoyed these, this time in the Beit Midrash in the Closet, please tell your friends about it. Everybody bring somebody next week and the sounds of Torah will resound across the land. I want to thank, as always, my Chavruta, Shalata, and Robert, without whom I would never have been able to make it through the Sugya. This was a bear of a Sugya. Trust me. They don't trust me. It was a bear of a sugim. I want to thank, of course, my amazing producer, Ellie Unger-Sargon. Check out his podcast, Four Cubits, with Jeff Helmack. And also, he has a great video YouTube station, where he now has just put up some, uh, if you live in California, great explainer about the propositions. I want to thank, of course, as always, the communications department, Shachar Kamenhodas, who's responsible for the great Daf Shui logo. My name is Aryeh Cohen. You can follow me on Twitter at Irmiklat, I-R-M-I-K-L-A-T. That's I-R-M-I-K-L-A-T, Irmiklat. And if you have any comments or criticisms or witticisms, the email address of the podcast is thewidowandthebrothers at gmail.com, and that'll be also on the pod page. And if you enjoyed this time with us, please give me a rating on the pod page. It'll help other people find us and join us. And also just make me feel good. So be well. 
see you next week. Have a good choice.